Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Worcestershire sauce? Worcestershire sauce? Worcestershire sauce? I heard him. Slow ahead. Slow ahead. I could go slow ahead. Come on down and jump some of this Beep. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Worcestershire sauce? Worcestershire sauce? Worcestershire sauce? Hello, you little jawlets. It's Chappie, your British butler. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese. Episode 201 today. 201. De zero on. How are you? Oh, it's a very thundery summer's day here. Lovely Colorado. It's, uh, it's not going to be quite as hot, so uh, I'm not going to have to uh, wet the knotted handkerchief today, but uh, it's going to be a little bit steamy, and then you're going to have the release of the pressure later on with a huge thunderstorm. Lovely, uh, lovely weather in the UK, across Europe as well, I believe, so we truly hit summer. Now, have you ever said, wash the sha sha sha, wash the sha sha sha, Worcestershire sauce incorrectly into the mirror three times. It's like the Candyman. It's like the hooked hand killer. If you say Worcestershire sauce into the mirror three times incorrectly, then you're basically going to be doused with some inferior steak sauce. That's what happens. If you didn't listen to the 200th episode of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese, where I went down into a shark cage to record the podcast in a bacon wrap microphone. Yes, that's what happened on the 200th episode. In celebration of the 200th episode of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese, I nearly became chum. I nearly required a bigger coffin. Yes, I would have would have required a bigger coffin if the shark had got me. But yeah, it's a really it's a fun roller coaster ride, and I literally took a roller coaster ride on the 200th edition of the podcast. There was so much fun to be had. There was so much audio delight, audio spectacles, a spectacular audio display from your dear host on the 200th episode. But we're back to normality. It's 201 today. So we're, we're across the line. We've hit our bicentennial. Can you remember the bicentennial? They had the US bicentennial, didn't they? Uh, they had the, uh, the Australia one not that long ago as well. But this is the bicentennial of this podcast. How have I maintained the stamina, the discipline, the diligence to continue over 201 episodes? I, I don't know, really. You just put me in a room every Friday. I mean, this is the whole thing. Uh, I'm locked in a room here at Chappie Towers. It's almost like a Chappie dungeon here. It's similar to the Tower of London. Uh, and basically, put the, they put the maiden skull torture device on me. They put me on the rack. And every Friday, Saturday or Sunday, they put a microphone in front of me and said, this is, this is your whim. You need to entertain the masses for the next 45 minutes or so. See what you can do. This is, this is your escape 
this is this is when I become like a Houdini uh, for maybe 45 minutes uh, twice a week and uh, and they put the microphone over me and say just ramble on rabbit on rabbit 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 as much as you can and that is the uh, that is really what this podcast is about it's one man's futile journey uh, to audio mediocrity that's what it really is <laughs> but it's therapy but I'm talking to you the listener the ever-growing listener I mean the listing figures are up and down like uh, like Burnham donkeys uh, there, there is another phrase I nearly said then that I probably would have been cancelled or uh, or killed or one of the two who knows but settle down oh god I wish I could just go and dip my big toe into the pool I bet my old man wishes he could do that as well with his uh, throbbing, gout-ridden toe that he has. This man is as fit as a fiddle for 71, but he does hobble around a little bit on his on his on his gout-ridden toe. I I did suggest the other day, uh, you know, you urinate on um, jellyfish stings. Why not urinate on a gout-ridden toe? I think it has to be your urine though, if you're stung by a jellyfish. I don't think anybody else's urine. Uh, is as effective as your own at defeating your own issues and problems um, caused by a stinging jellyfish or a gout-ridden toe. Anyway, welcome along to the podcast. Settle down. Oh, I just want the pool to be open now so I can just go and paddle along and have a lovely, lazy weekend. So here we are again, as happy as can be. All good friends and jolly good company. Lovely to be back again on your little audio platforms, or however you listen to the show. I'd love it if somebody did press a shell against their ear and could hear <laughs> the waves crashing. Hopefully no sort of oyster or mussel crawling around or some sort of urchin crawling into the air. Well, other than your dearest host, the urchin himself, Chappie, <laughs> frolic around in your lug holes. So here today on this episode of Keep Calm Cotton Cauliflower Cheese, we have a, uh, a fun-packed show for you. Some of the topics that we may or may not be discussing on the podcast, uh, fooling an American that a bratwurst is a hot dog. We'll be talking about that later on as well. Uh, also, two items of my clothing, which is more holier? I'm not talking reverence here. Um, also... How great is a company that's main selling point that it has a US-based customer service? A uh, Alco Pop Mobile. I still haven't got a pool. Um, again, once again, the AILs have been out and they're talking about manscaping. I mean, how can these elves know that I need to be manscaped? I'm not sort of Yeti. I'm not a Sasquatch here. Uh, also, have you ever tried sitting on a ball whilst working? Um, dreaming about forgetting toiletries. A, um, I also saw Pajama Man. Yep, the, the, the lovely Pajama Man as well. Uh, I'm an expert in lepidoptery. The Greek bed man made his presence. Uh, well, pretty inefficient, mediocre presence, to be honest. But the uh, Greek bed man did appear. And um, I'm still on the floor, basically. That's the, uh, that's the answer to that one. We're also going to be... I saw a wonderful documentary about 
The Making of Jaws. Now, I think it's 47 years this summer, um, so it's coming up to near the 50th anniversary of Jaws, but I saw this documentary. It's about an hour and a half, so it's a long one, but it is absolutely fascinating if you love Jaws, which I do. I do, I do have a, a yearning, as I did on the 200th episode. As I said, I went down into a shark cage and um, I tempted a shark with a bacon wrap microphone. Mmm. Yeah. And I didn't even have a wetsuit on. Just slipped on my long johns and got the long johns really, really wet. And there's nothing better than a soaking wet long john on a slightly rotund man. Everything was showing, nothing was left to the imagination. Other than this podcast and my delusions of mediocrity. I watched this fabulous documentary last night. It's The Making of Jaws, The Inside Story, Retro N8. If you look that up on YouTube, it'll pull it up. It's about one hour, 30 minutes of pure brilliance and nostalgia. So it talks about Steven Spielberg, second movie, how the uh, producers at Universal, I believe it was, took a chance on a young director on putting together this movie. First of all, they had somebody else, another director in mind for the movie before Spielberg, and the, uh, the other director, uh, when they sat down with the studio and the writer Peter Benchley, uh, thought it was like a Moby Dick tale about a whale, not a shark. So the director obviously hadn't done his research and Steven Spielberg became the director of Jaws. First up, he wanted the uh, movie to be filmed on the ocean. No other, no other movie had done anything similar. They normally filmed it in lakes, behind blue screens, in swimming pools. But he wanted the anger, the emotion of the ocean to be part of Jaws. And it made it very, very difficult. Uh, he had several different people in mind, uh, including Charlton Heston, who wanted to play Quint. But um, Spielberg did not want Heston to outshine the shark. The shark was going to be the star of the show. So eventually, uh, after much persuasion, Richard Dreyfus uh, decided, uh, and, it, and it took him like several months for, to, provi- uh, to persuade Dreyfus to take on the, uh, the role um, of Hooper, uh, Roy Sader, um as uh, as Brody, he uh, he wanted to do it uh, almost immediately. I think Spielberg was having trouble trying to find Brody, an actor to play Brody, and he met uh, Roy Scheider at a party, and he basically was Roy Scheider was Spielberg's therapist the entire party. He said, "I need this guy. This is what I'm looking for. I can't find them," and Scheider said, "Look, I'm an actor. I can do this. I want to do this." And then they had uh, the role of Quint, Robert Shaw, the fantastic Robert Shaw, who played one of the best Bond villains uh, in, uh, in Red Grant in Russia with Love. But he took on the role as uh, Quint, the fisherman. Now, uh, it was absolutely fascinating, though, because uh, Robert Shaw and um, Richard Dreyfus really hated each other. Dreyfus talked a lot. Uh, Robert Shaw liked to drink and really make fun and bully 
Bully Dreyfus throughout the shooting of Jaws. So their uh, their relationship um, as the two characters, Quint and Hooper, were very similar to the uh, in terms of the relationship in real life. So it's really very very interesting. Um, but everything went fairly smoothly. The filming on land. I mean, as I said. Uh, Hooper and Quint, Shaw and Dreyfus didn't get on very well, but that added a little bit of a little bit of uh, uh, venom to the whole uh, affair, a little bit of needle to the whole affair. And um, the hardest part was getting the shark to work. Apparently, the shark, the mechanical shark, and they had I think three different versions, including a shark head, went wrong every day. Every day, the shark would go wrong, and. Uh, and it would go in the water. It was working perfectly in uh, in um, fresh water. Put it in salt water. All the electrics went wrong. And in the end, they went maybe 30, 40, 50 days over the shooting schedule. And Universal were very tight in terms of their budgets. And uh, th- this is the whole this is the whole story behind the making of Jaws. And it's absolutely fascinating. Where they didn't have the special effects. They couldn't build uh, a shark sort of digitally as they could these days. They had to wait for sailboats in the background when they're out in the ocean. If any sailboats passed, they had to cut and refilm it because they did. We wanted complete emptiness in the ocean, just the horizon, just the shark, just the three men in the orca. It is a fantastic documentary, and it makes me want to rewatch Jaws probably tonight. I would think. But highly recommend watching this documentary, which really um, is built around not just the shark. It was almost Hitchcockian in the sense that they couldn't get the shark to work. So they decided that it would be a sort of smoke and mirrors type of thing that you would have. You would know the shark was down there, but you couldn't necessarily see it. And they had a very revolutionary filming where they took a box, cameras just under the surface. You could see legs kicking. You knew the shark was down there, but you couldn't see the shark. And that's what created the fear. The sleight of hand of the movie makers and Spielberg delivered one of the most horrific movies, but also a character sketch, a marvelous character sketch. Uh, The Robert Shaw, Indianapolis, U.S. Indianapolis speech is one of the best speeches, and apparently he got so drunk. He said, um, "Do you mind? Uh, do you mind if I film this completely drunk?" And he was so wasted, he turned up to deliver the speech on the boat. He was too drunk; they had to put him at the back. And the next day, he got up, stone cold sober, and delivered it as if he was drunk. Absolutely marvelous documentary. Highly recommended. Uh, go and watch it today. It really, uh, it was really a marvelous snapshot of one of the greatest cinema masterpieces ever put together. A couple have been hit with a noise warning after neighbors complained that the sound of them having sex was louder than a lawnmower. Yes, let me uh, oh. start it up. Oh, start it up, and we'll never stop here. It was louder than a lawnmower. Excuse me whilst my uh, mower goes on in the background. I don't know if it's petrol electric. I really don't know. Uh, Lydia Barker, 31, and Billy Brown, 40, will now be 
need to be monitored by their social housing provider after neighbours fled the filed the complaint. Talk about a mood killer. The Somerset pair received a letter nobody would ever want to receive from the Stonewater Housing Association. You and your partner can be heard having sexual relations, explaining that nearby inhabitants were embarrassed and distressed from the noise. The letter read, Dear Mrs. Barker. Well, it wasn't, didn't sound like barking, more like a lawnmower, I thought. We have received a complaint against you concerning a noise from your home. The nature of the noise is a very delicate matter. I want to bring it to your attention. We've been informed that you and your partner have been heard having sexual relations by other neighbours. In turn, they've reported to us and find it to be very embarrassing and stressing. Please, can you address the matter and reduce the noise when engaging in sexual relations as it's affecting other residents? We will monitor this matter for improvement. Well, how are they going to monitor if we feel that there's not been any marked improvement, then Stonewater will contact you again advising the action we prepared in order to resolve this matter. What will the what will be the resolution? Will it be castration? I'd not call my sex sessions extreme. A few moans and groans, of course. We're not doing it morning, noon and night, but certainly not anti-social hours. Lydia found the complaint very extreme and we would have simplified with her neighbours simply knock on the door. <laughs> they knocked on the door whilst they're knocking off. Struck a polite note on the door. Yes, a sticky note. It was a very, very, very sticky note. So have the uh, Cricket England against New Zealand gently on in the background here. Not when I'm doing the podcast, just the scoreline. Come on now, this is the scoreline. Um, but yes, yeah, so got, got it on and I thought, well, could we, could we have double trouble again? Could the two redheads in the England team once again produce a phenomenal exp- uh, performance? And my father said... Uh, two head red, two redheads do not a summer make. So it made me think, where does that saying come from? Two swallows does not a summer make. A single fortunate event does not mean that it follows will also be good. So the origin, the annual migration of swallows to Europe from southern climes at the end of winter was a subject of the proverb in ancient Greece. Iap means spring is found in the Nicomachean ethics by the philosopher and scientist Aristotle. The translation to be happy takes a complete lifetime for one swallow does not make a spring nor does one fine day and similarly one day or a brief period of happiness does not make a man supremely blessed and happy. The basic metaphor is that the end of winter the end of hard times but the more than one piece of evidence is needed to prove that it's been reached the English proverb is first recorded in 1539 um, and basically, it was put together with an adaptation of Agorium Chaadas, thousands of proverbs by the Dutch humanist and scholar Desiridius Erasmus. And the, uh, the translation is, It is not one swallow that bringeth in summer. It is not one good quality that maketh good. Swallows be a token of the beginning of summer. Yet not one swallow is no sure token so of all other things. The English playwright and epigrammonist John Hayward also recorded the proverb in a dialogue containing the number and effect of the proverbs in the English tongue. One swallow maketh not a summer. Well, it sounds like it's going back to this uh, lawnmower sex thing of this couple here. Well, how about two swallows or three swallows? The earliest English versions of the proverb have summer, not spring, probably because the former word, which goes back to Old English, was used uh, alongside winter to note the warmer half of the year. The expression summer and winter 
Also, winter and summer was used to mean all year round. The noun spring, in the sense of the season between winter and summer, is first attested in the mid-16th century and apparently from the spring of the year in which the spring meant the time of springing into existence. Similarly, for the example, the spring of the leaf denoted the time when trees began to burst into leaf again and the spring of the moon meant the increase of the moon. The original sense of the noun spring was attested in the early 9th century as the place where water wells up from an underground source, hence the figurative sense of the origin of something. One swallow makes no summer, nor does one day, and in the same way it takes more than one day or one short space of time to make a man happy. He seems to me to need full of many swallows, uh, and also sees a reference to the proverb I've just recorded, one swallow does not make a summer, there is something akin to Sophocles. What one man owns can never make a city, for just as one swallow does not make a summer, so one man does not make a commonwealth, nor one coin a rich man. The other day, I thought that I'd fooled my love. I thought I'd fooled an American into thinking that a bratwurst was indeed a hot dog. So playing golf and uh, at the ninth hole, decided to get a, a hot dog. Now I can't tell the difference. I mean, I, I guess a bratwurst is a little bit thicker. But she said, I have a bratwurst. Yeah, yeah can I have two hot dogs, please? So the lady, lady gave both, probably maybe a little bit thicker than the norm. And I scattered mine with sauerkraut, mustard and ketchup, uh, also jalapenos, relish, everything else. And uh, my darling prefers just mustard and ketchup. None of the additions. And I, I thought that I was buying a hot dog. But it turns out that Americans know their hot dogs. <laughs> and, we, and nobody knows what actually goes into a hot dog. And I'll have to give you maybe the, the ingredients that go into a hot dog and maybe we'll never eat them again. But she knew after one bite or maybe three quarters of, a, of, a, <laughs> of the consumption of the, of the hot dog, uh, which uh, in hiding in plain sight was a bratwurst. She said, yeah, this isn't a hot dog. It's, it's, it's a bratwurst. Because apparently bratwurst is a little bit more sausagey, like a breakfast sausage. Well, what does a hot dog taste like then? But I mean, I cannot touch a hot dog unless I put a lot of stuff on it, and then I forget that it's this boiled piece of. Um, I don't even know if it's meat in a casing. We have to develop and understand what are the ingredients in a hot dog. And I want to take you back to a story from a couple of weeks ago. 15,000 pounds of delicious hot dog filler spill into a highway crash. The pink slime catapulted out of this truck and took four hours to clean up. I mean, this basically looks like Mr. Blobby's been crushed. Seven and a half tons of pink slime, the stuff that goes into hot dogs, oozed onto a Pennsylvania highway earlier this month when a speeding semi-truck driver lost control. Look up this Pennsylvania hot dog story and you'll never eat a hot dog again. A truck driver was traveling at the highest rate of speed on the Interstate 170 near Rostrava, Pennsylvania, when he started to lose control and veer onto the shoulder. The truck only stopped when it hit trees, causing the massive sacks of meat byproduct. I mean, you wouldn't eat something that's called meat byproduct. What sort of meat is it? Please be more specific. It lurched in the trailer and broke loose onto the roadway. Due to the violent stopping motion of the truck, 
the load contained inside became dislodged, causing approximately 15,000 pounds of hot dog filler to catapult. And I think cat being the operative word, because it looks like cat meat to me. Uh, and this pink meaty lava flow. Pink slime is the word for what the meat industry calls finely textured beef or boneless lean beef trimmings. ABC News uncovered the use of the pink slime as an additive to the ground meat created in a process where the fat is spun out of it, separated from the meat, and the resulting product is sprayed with ammonia to kill bacteria, the investigation resulting in panic causing a major decline in sales in 2014. The hot load is a hot, hot, hot dog, stopped traffic for four hours, so temperatures in the evening of Australia reached the mid-80s. Oh, I bet it was grime. I bet it was slimy, stinky, petrified oh putrefied and petrified the driver and passenger had minor injuries they probably had to have their sinuses flushed out and uh, are now vegans the driver will have numerous citations against him including releasing toxic radioactive uh, materials from a hot dog onto the freeway multiple brakes on the vehicle were completely inoperable resulting in a loss of a stopping power Yes, he stopped, <laughs> and the uh, the grimy hot dog, mealy, pink slime shot out and caused a whole Mr. Blobby exploding situation. I mean, it looks like a pink pustule's been popped. It's put me off. So I'm sticking with the bratwurst, in other words. So after the hot dog story, you probably would never consider this, but I was sent this in a week. Become a vampire. Order yourself a do-it-yourself vampire kit and join the ranks of the undead. Here's what you get. Curse of the undead. Horrifying secret instructions and incarnations for changing a human into a vampire. The origin and history of vampires, a darkly enlightening theme by the world's leading authority on vampirism by Professor Raul Kastrovich. Vampire fangs, realistic and frightening, they glow in the dark to help you track down victims at night. Your own personal vet pet vampire bat, jet, black, rubbery and lifelike. No true, no true vampire should be without one. And six, wallet-sized photos of the most blood-curdling vampires of all time, as portrayed by Bella Lugosi, David Peel, Christopher Lee and John Van Eason. Get your vampire kit today and become part of the club. Good morning. My name is Konstantin, customer service row bedroom store. I call it Gregor Repair Your Bed. Could you call me back, please? We make an appointment. What day is good for you? I come in and fix your problem. So I heard this the other day, I think when I was watching the US Open Golf, and what a fabulous result it was for Matthew Fitzpatrick. And he's got a bit of a sense of humor, though. The Yorkshire boy has a bit of a sense of humor. And you wouldn't think about it. You hear him interviewed and you think he's pretty motivated, pretty disciplined and pretty boring. But he's got a bit about him, the lad. Certainly a marvellous golfer. Anyway, so watching the golf, saw this advert and uh, it was a, for a new pro phone provider, mobile phone provider. And it was uh, it was going through its attributes. And I mean, the coverage didn't seem particularly good. Uh, you don't have an option to, to move to an iPhone. It has to be the phone that they give you that's probably like a flip phone or one of those old Motorola's. Um, but one of their main calling cards, one of their main uh, attributes, selling points here, was that they had a US-based customer service. 
I mean, how can that be a selling point? I have no problems with uh, customer service, whichever company is Amazon, uh, Google, Apple, if if there is offshore customer service. I have no problem. I, and I understand pretty much everybody I speak to on the phone. But the, the phone company's uh, main selling point was it had a US-based customer service. Does it make it easier for Karens to complain? I mean, I think it'd be a little bit easier if, if you couldn't understand the customer service agent. But that's a selling point for a phone that they have US-based customer service. Sign up today. So somebody who lives around uh, the vicinity of uh, Champy Towers drives an Alco Pop mobile. They sell Alco Pops. The van has Alco Pops in the side. I don't know if it's Alco Pops or alcoholic seltzer or whatever, something along those lines anyway. Maybe very, very thirsty. But it makes me think if you're driving this thing around and you're going selling Alco Pops with a load of Alco Pops in the back, is it more likely going to be stopped by the police and breathalyzed? Or is it less likely? Because do the police think you're not as stupid as to drink your own produce? Just wondering, just putting it out there. And it made me long for a pool. Still no pool here. I have no pool at the moment. I know, first world problems, there's no pools. But I want to paddle. I want to put on my very, very baggy swimming shorts that at any minute, if I jump into the pool, could fall down. And no string is tight enough to keep those beauties up. It's a bit of an issue. <laughs> but anyway, paddling and having one of the alcohol pots would probably be fine. I think I, I, I don't think the shorts will fall down as I'm sipping away my uh, raspberry lemonade. Saw this lovely article in The Wildest in the week. If the algorithms we reflect the greatest wishes of our hearts and eyes, I can proudly report that approximately 80% of my TikTok stream, this is from The Wildest magazine, is about dogs. Oh, the dogs I see, there are so many dogs. I even get noticed that there are a few distinct genres, primarily clumsy dogs, Dogs who have returned home with interesting food they found in a truly unknown location. Fresh ears of corn and wrapped sub sandwiches. And dogs sleeping with smushed faces. But the algorithm constantly testing my interest. Other dog genres seek in. Once there is always a hovering around the edges if dogs can talk. First, address a pack of adorable, very TikTok popular dogs. Developed by a speech pathologist, Christina Hunger, with her dog Stella who loves the buttons, outside, now, and Stella. Dogs across the globe are using these pedals to communicate. Just as clumsy dogs surprised by their own paw will make me laugh, dogs with buttons have not lost their glorious animal spirit. Bunny, another dog, is an internet famous by using these communication buttons, once got a bath, and used their buttons to repeat, now I mad. High comedy. But the joke that Bunny has started stating the opposite, Bunny's posture expression movements are saying, now I mad, no buttons really needed. Dog communication gadgets of this sort have existed for a long time. But the new and explosive popularity of these buttons, or at least the popularity of dogs who use them, indicates humans clearly have a fierce intention to verbalize what our pets are trying to tell us. We go to extravagant sci-fi level lengths to try to figure out a mat of buttons with the words ball, help, treat, will not satisfy our curiosity. There's frequently new apps in development that promise to translate a dog's box into a language humans can understand. 
at the University of Glasgow School of Computing Science, Dr. Ivana Hizeski Douglas is continuing to develop a dog phone that allows and lets pets call their owners when they're away to speak to them. Of course, I've been flummoxed about the enigma of what my dog is trying to tell me. He'll stare at me with telekinetic intensity. His yellow gold eyes latched onto mine. Does he want to go out? Does he want an unwarranted second dinner? Does he want to spot my spot on the couch? Does he want his rope toy? Have I cruelly taken away from him so he doesn't ingest loose threads? None of the above. But even if something specific he's trying to say, I want to know, is it for me to pay attention to his communication? Of course, it would be wonderful to know his secrets. Sometimes whether when he's listless, I wonder if there's an ouch button like the famous bunny has. Would he tell me if he is sickly at a stomachache? It seems very useful, worthwhile in an emergency measure. He also seems at least to be able to communicate through movement, posture, whining and behavior. For example, licking his sore paw, wiggling away from behind the ear scratch. Ouch, for me to know about. These attempts to bridge communication aren't necessarily transmitting the dog's deeper thoughts and feelings. They're just the dog's missives to you. Similarly, when we reach out our hands to our dogs for a paw, this movement doesn't capture our innermost spirits or even everything we'd like to communicate to our pet. It's just a form of engagement through gesture. Having contraptions involved can potentially clarify. They can certainly be funny and also they seem to outline the void that might not be there if they weren't insistent on requiring verbalization from our pets. In general, all these tools, of course, reflect so much more than our desires for our pets when they're desires for themselves. Really, why are we insisting on bringing them to our level when human communication is historically so flawed and not cool and dog communication seemingly involves patient attentiveness? deep intuition and forgiving affections. Who should aspire to communicate? Like whom? Standing on one leg may indicate how long you will live. A flamenco-style balance test should be introduced to routine health checks for older adults as it could be a key indicator of how long you will live, researchers say. The inability to stand on one leg for 10 seconds in mid to later life is linked to a near doubling of the risk of death for any cause within the next 10 years, a study has suggested. A fifth, of, a fifth of those studied failed the test. Unlike aerobic fitness, muscle strength and flexibility, balance tends to be reasonably well preserved until the sixth decade of life, according to the British Journal of Sports Medicine. The researchers concluded that a 10-second balance test provides rapid, objective feedback for the patient's health professionals regarding the static balance and adds useful information regarding mortality risk in middle-aged older men and women. They analyzed statistics in almost 30-year exercise studies in Brazil with uh, compared physical fitness and conventional cardiovascular risks. I mean, if you've, got the, uh, if you've got the Brazilian bottom, you've got that South American bottom, doesn't that give you a little bit more stability? Do men have the South American bottom? That Brazilian bottom gives you a bit more stability when you're standing on one leg. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the rest of the show standing on one leg. I have to move the chair out of the way. I can barely move the chair, let alone stand on one leg. All right. Okay, so here we go. About, you have to put the, your leg, your foot behind your leg. I find it easier to balance on my on my uh, left leg than my right. 
about one in five of the 1,700 participants aged 51 to 75 failed the test. The inability to do so grows in tandem with age more or less doubling at subsequent five-year intervals. Well, I'm 45, and I tell you, it's, it's hard. I can do it for 10 seconds. One, two, three, four, five. So I'm on one leg, on my left leg, from 15 seconds. You've done 20 seconds. Yeah, I can, I can just about do it. I mean, if you do it for a minute, are you going to live to 150? This is when it's helpful if you've got a third leg or if you have a tripod. <laughs> I may assist you. After accounting for age, sex and underlying conditions, an inability to stand unsupported on one leg for 10 seconds was associated with 84% heightened risk of death. Being very practical and pragmatic, physical fitness was so relevant to health, quality of life and survival, it should be assessed in every medical health check. Poor nanoaerobic fitness, normally associated with a sedentary lifestyle, but is always in the background of most cases of frailty. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. It's been marvellous having you here on this lovely late June summer's day. Makes me have an urge for some strawberries. But I, I, maybe I'll talk about this on the podcast on Saturday or Sunday. Uh, but I really got into frozen berries. My frozen fancy berries are my favorites now. Because fruit goes so, especially soft fruit, goes bad really quickly. And it's not good. But the frozen berries, strawberries, raspberries, blueberries, blackberries are fantastic. You put them in the microwave for like a minute you know nuke them and then you've got beautiful berries a little bit of the juice there as well mix it in with yogurt some oats i think if i keep doing that i'll be able to stand on one leg for probably a couple of hours rather than 25 30 seconds i want to know though from that test if you can stand on your leg for 30 seconds are you okay or you know is your life life uh, an existence reduced slightly for those who can be on one leg for like a minute and a half. I mean, by that science, flamingos should be living to like 300 years old. They should l live longer than tortoises. Anyway, if you like the podcast, like and subscribe where you can on Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. Apple Podcasts uh, has the main edition, the audio version of the podcast. Also, uh, Spotify has an audio version, Slacker, Breaker, iHeartRadio, Pandora, uh, also Audible, Amazon Music, Apple, um, uh, also Google Podcasts as well. You can find me basically anywhere. I mean, as your bones crack as you lift your leg and place your one foot behind your leg to do the balance test, you can hear Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese uh, evolving from the bone cracking incidents. Yes, you can. You can hear it absolutely everywhere. On the Musical Emporium Butler Edition on Spotify, where we scatter music with the preamble, you can have some Kinks. You can also have some Paul McCartney. You can have some Prince. You can have some Christopher Cross. You can have some Taylor Swift, some Cooler Shaker. You can have some Harry Styles, some Tupac, and then some beautiful Yacht Rock to sail into the sunset with at the end of the show. But coming up next, we have a lovely summertime poem.
This is by O.B. Thompson, British Summertime. Summer walks on fresh shores greet the new light, reveling in the gentle flight of thousand birds dancing to the echo of ocean's thunderous roar. Children play so merrily on the pebbled beach, oblivious to the world, and here I sit, much closer to the world than I would ever admit. I will be back again for an encore performance of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese towards the end of the weekend. But until next time, have a lovely time. If you've got a little beach near you, just take those shoes and socks off and go and have a paddle. I tell you, it's very refreshing, enlivening, enlightening, and incredibly relaxing. Until next time, cheerio. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.